Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott. Hello, you wacky, crazy, unpredictable world, you. Right? The world is definitely unpredictable, but... uh, Well, it's predictable in its unpredictability. It's the only one we've got until Elon gets to Mars. (laughs) But, I, you know, we've talked about who's going to be the king of Mars. I want to be the first guy to step on there and say, guess what, emperor? Oh, you do, do you? Oh, I don't want to be that first one. There you go. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the Crisis Text Line in Canada by texting HOME to 686868 in the U.S. or U.K. text 741741. You'll be matched with a volunteer counsellor who is supervised by a licensed, trained mental health professional. Crisis Text Line is 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, please go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. Do it. Let's get on with the show. One would think that a story involving a Japanese steamship filled with Indian passengers leaving Hong Kong and ending in the city of Budge Budge, India, nearly seven months later, would be an away game. Uh, Budge Budge. Budge Budge. It's perhaps the best name I've ever heard. Yes, but this is not an away game. Oh, do tell. 
In early 1914, just before the outbreak of World War I, a Sikh businessman named Baba Gurdit Singh Sarhali chartered a Japanese ship, the SS Kamagata Maru, to carry a group of 376 Indian immigrants from Hong Kong to what they believed would be a better life in Canada. Mm-hmm. When the ship arrived in Vancouver in late May, the bulk of the passengers were not permitted to disembark After months of legal wrangling, the remaining passengers were deported from Canada and the ship was sent back to India. Upon arrival in Calcutta, not wanted there, they were redirected to an Indian city called Budgebudge where the British were waiting for them. They were to be loaded onto trains and sent back to the Punjab. The passengers, wanting to stay in Calcutta, rioted. British forces shot 29, killing 20. Hmm. This is episode 129, Excluded, the Kamagatu Maru Incident. This is a very well-known, but yet not well-known, bit of Canadian history. I think there's a whole generation of people or couple that have grown up without really giving it much thought. Yeah, well, like like we said, it happened 106 years ago. That's a few. Yeah. According to SickWiki, Org. Baba Gurdit Singh Sarhali was born in 1860 at Sarhali Kalan in the Punjab. His grandfather was an officer in the Sikh Khalsa Army and had fought against the British during the First and Second Anglo-Sikh Wars. Indian independence from British rule was a frequent topic within the family. Mm-hmm. Gurdit Singh's father left his family behind and went to Malaya where he worked as a contractor there and in Singapore. Gurdit hated his teacher, because he was abusive, and left school at 13, but he had learned enough to be able to correspond with his father. When he was 25, Gurdit followed his father to Malaya, where he himself became a successful contractor. Always an activist, thanks to his upbringing, in 1909, Singh returned to India and became an advocate for workers' rights. In 1911, he wrote to the British-run government, complaining against area officials who forced poor villagers to work for them without remuneration. When his pleas were ignored, he encouraged locals to refuse to be subjected to the bagar. This is the systemized forced labor encouraged under British rule. From an article on humanrights.ca, quote, Whenever he went back to his village, he saw poverty and people struggling to get by and felt like he should do something to help. End quote. Hmm. Singh wanted to help the subjugated people of India however he could. Early in 1914, he was an active supporter of the Ghadar movement. From a 2014 Sikh Formations journal article, Ghadar Movement, A Living Legacy by Nishant Apadye, quote, Established in early 1913 in Oregon and formalized on the 1st of November 1913 in San Francisco, Ghadar Party, also Ghadar, Mutiny, Revolt, or Rebellion, a group of South Asian, predominantly Punjabi, and especially Sikh farm workers, mill laborers, seamen, intellectuals, and students led a revolutionary, anti-colonial movement for India. Though it was a coalition of different ideologies, the party had a simple guiding objective, independence of India at any cost, end quote. Anytime you hear at any cost... Yeah, you know that there's going to be a fight, Mm -hmm. for sure. By the year 1900, 2,050 people had recently immigrated 
from India to the North American continent. Many Indian immigrants worked in the logging industry, in factories, and in farming fields along the West Coast in California, Oregon, Washington, and into British Columbia here. Over the next 13 years, 10,000 South Asians, many who had served in the British Armed Forces back at home, were living in North America, arriving mostly from the rural regions of central Punjab, like Gurdit Singh. Mm-hmm. They sent word home that things were much better for them here in North America. Many Indians, tired of being under the thumbs of the British colonizers in their home country, began to see that a move to North America might give them more liberty and allow them to earn a good living for their families. As Indians were also British subjects, Canada seemed to be a better choice than the United States, as Canada was still part of the British Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. The welcome provided to the immigrants by the predominantly white North Americans of English ancestry was not exactly warm. Many, including those in positions of power, treated the darker-skinned newcomers who spoke strange languages, dressed differently, and prayed to unusual gods, not as new neighbors, but as invaders, come to upset their way of life and take away their jobs. Why does that sound so familiar? I can't put my finger on it. As the country grew... Constituents complained to their MPs about the immigrants and demanded action. As a result, protectionist and racist immigration laws were enacted, mostly geared toward keeping Canada free of, quote, undesirables, especially those who were not white. Wait a minute, you said this was 2020, right? No, this is in, in the 1900s. Oh, the early weird. 1900s. weird. So, uh, whew, so weird. Canada's first immigration law came into effect only two years after the official founding of the country. The laws were written and enacted by the government of Canada's first Prime Minister, Sir John A. Macdonald. On the surface, the intent of the Immigration Act of 1869 was to protect the passengers on the ships packed with people coming to Canada from potential overcrowding and lack of provisions, but there were darker aspects. Mm -hmm. From the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21 in Halifax, quote, Ship's captains were required to provide customs officials with accurate lists of the ship's passengers and additionally document the medical condition of each person on board. A penalty was charged for every person listed as a, quote, lunatic, idiotic, deaf or dumb, blind or infirm, end quote with the immigration agent authorized to order such individuals returned to their port of departure. The governor in council, i.e. federal cabinet, also reserved the right to prohibit the entry of paupers and destitute immigrants, end quote. What's a pauper? A pauper is just a very poor person. Gotcha. Yeah. There were positives to the act limiting greedy practices taking advantage of people who just wanted a new life. Also from the Pier 21 site, quote, In an effort to prevent the exploitation of new immigrants, the act outlined specific procedures for their arrival at Canadian ports. Ship captains were required to land passengers at reasonable hours, offload luggage free of charge, and allow passengers to remain on board for 48 hours after arrival. Businesses offering lodging and transportation services to newly arrived immigrants had to obtain a special license from the government and clearly post their rates, end quote. Hmm. So there were some positives. Yeah. It's like a lot of laws, there's 
things that are mixed in there that aren't exactly pleasant. I, I but. think I think that's typically for the sake of optics, because if you don't try to balance out, if you don't say, well, here's the beautiful things about it, though, then it's going to be much more difficult to get past. You're using the nice things to hide the bad things. Exactly. Yeah. As people flooded into Canada, new immigration laws were enacted to discourage immigrants from certain countries from coming to Canada. After a report by the Royal Commission on Chinese Immigration in 1885, the federal government passed a bill to restrict Chinese immigration to Canada. Mm. Restrict Chinese immigration mm-hmm. to Canada. Mm-hmm. Among other restrictions, the Chinese Immigration Act imposed a duty on the heads of Chinese immigrants of $50. As the Chinese kept coming in larger numbers, the head tax had risen to five hundred dollars by nineteen oh three. Well, holy shit! What a load of cash that was back then. Yeah, like, and my lord, most of the people who want to immigrate to another country are not going to be carrying a large amount of cash. No, no. If you were affluent in your homeland, you typically are okay. Yeah, you're going to stay there. Yeah. So the whole purpose of that was to keep people away. Exactly. In 1908, Canadian Minister of Labor, Rodolphe Lemieux, negotiated an agreement with the Japanese Foreign Minister Tadasu Hayashi to restrict Japanese immigration to Canada. Also in 1908, the Continuous Journey Regulation was enacted. Interesting title. Yeah, here's how this works. Quote, the Continuous Journey Regulation required prospective immigrants to travel to Canada by continuous journey from the country of which they were natives or citizens on a through ticket purchased in that country. Since there was no direct steamship between India and Canada at this time, the regulation effectively blocked Indian immigration. Oh, tricky sons of bitches. Right? The Immigration Act of 1910 demanded that all immigrants of Asiatic origin were required to have $200 in their possession before being permitted entry, while all other immigrants, read white ones, male and female, were required to have a minimum of $25 upon their arrival in Canada. Wow. Mm-hmm. Gurdit Singh had been made aware of a number of Punjabi men, some with families in tow, who were stuck in British ports awaiting passage across the Pacific to Canada, and he had promised to help them. Singh was aware of the Canadian immigration laws, and his intent was to challenge the continuous journey regulation and the $200 tax that had been placed on the Asian immigrants Mm -hmm. and demand entry, not just as Indian nationals, but as British subjects. Okay. He believed that people from India should be treated as equal to white British subjects and treated equally in their efforts to immigrate to Canada. Uh, I agree. I doesn't sus- sound unreasonable it, at all. It doesn't. I, I suspect, though, to some powers that be, they found that unreasonable. Yeah, there were some. It had been done successfully before, though, oh, okay. the year before, in fact, from the Canadian Encyclopedia, quote, A moment of great encouragement came in November 1913 when a Canadian judge overruled an immigration department order for the deportation of 38 Punjabi Sikhs. These immigrants had come to Canada via Japan on a regularly scheduled Japanese passenger liner, the Panama Maru. Immigration officials had ordered them deported because they had not come by continuous journey from India, 
and because they were not carrying the requisite amount of money. The judge found fault with the continuous journey regulation and also the regulation specifying the $200 requirement. He looked closely at the wording of these regulations and ruled them inconsistent with the wording of the Immigration Act and therefore invalid. He then allowed the passengers to land. So So there's precedent. There was a precedent. Yes, okay. But here's the problem. Oh, God. Uh, The Canadian Encyclopedia goes on to say that although the judge's 1913 ruling briefly negated the exclusionary laws, by early 1914, the Canadian government had rewritten them, Mm. and they were back on the books before Uh. Gurdit Singh's fateful journey began. Gotcha. Okay. Gurdit Singh's search for a ship took some time. Over several months, as he made inquiries in Calcutta and Singapore, he came up empty. In Hong Kong, another British colony, he hit pay dirt. A Japanese ship, the itinerant Komagatu Maru, was in port. The ship had been built in Glasgow, Scotland, and launched in 1890. Then it was delivered to a German company where she was registered under the name SS Stubenhook. Oh, okay. The SS Stubenhook. Very German. In 1894, the Hamburg-America Line acquired the vessel and renamed her the SS Sicilia. She was sold again in 1914 to a Japanese company, who then dubbed her the Kamagato Maru. From Hugh J.M. Johnston's book, The Voyage of the Kamagato Maru, quote, she was about 100 meters long, 13 meters across, and was driven by a 265-horsepower steam engine, There were a few cabins in the housing on her upper deck, and there was a deck below which was as dirty as one might expect from her cargo. The terms were six months at $11,000, Hong Kong, per month. The first month to be paid on signing, the second within a week, the third and fourth within two weeks, and the remainder within two months of the commencement of the charter. So it's an expensive charter. Yeah. Although Gurdit Singh told everyone he was putting money of his own into the venture, and he may have, he intended to get the most of what he needed from his passengers. Daljeet Singh, an associate of Gurdit's, had been selling tickets at $210 Hong Kong, which was equivalent to a return fare by a regular line. He had raised some $10,000 before any arrangements were made for a boat, and someone reported this to the mm-hmm. Hong Kong police. Mm-hmm. Police came to the Gurdwara, and before you ask, a Gurdwara is a place of assembly and worship for Sikhs. All right. The cops came on the afternoon of March 25th. They raided Gurdit Singh's office and seized his papers. As it happened, he had signed a charter contract the day before, and although the police brought him before a magistrate, they decided that they didn't have a case against him. Oh, good. So the charges were dropped. Yeah. Singh and his associates took control of the ship that same day and went to work outfitting it with 533 bunks, which were more benches than beds. Mm. These were in a large communal space, so you didn't have any privacy. The 15 cabins were reserved for crew and Gurdit Singh's associates. It was a cramped and uncomfortable Mm. environment, but as the journey was set to take just two and a half weeks... It was worth a little discomfort considering the promise of a better life at the end. Oh, I was envisioning you know, a few-month trip. Okay. From the Canadian Encyclopedia, quote, 
He had enough room in the forward area of the main deck to create a temple space for daily worship led by a Sikh priest. The space was also used for political lectures and readings of emotional political poetry. For the passengers, that time in worship and in lectures and readings facilitated extraordinary cohesion under the very difficult circumstances of a long confinement on board ship, end quote. Mm. As a result of the earlier legal issues, a number of potential passengers backed out of the voyage in Hong Kong thinking it was some kind of scam. Oh, okay. This left Singh holding the bag financially. Mm. Other issues arose quickly. The ship was set to depart on March 28, 1914, but was held in port by Hong Kong's governor. Knowing Canada's immigration laws, specifically the Continuous Journey Regulation, yeah. he sent a wire to Canadian authorities. Oh, shit. So they give them a heads up to... Okay. Exactly. It read, quote, 150 Indian Sikhs have chartered a steamer from here to British Columbia, are not through ticket from India, am advised that local immigration clauses do not apply to other than Chinese immigration. Please telegraph whether, in the circumstances, they will be permitted to land in Canada, end quote. So, almost a week went by, and there was no reply from the Canadians. Yep. The Kamagatumaru was allowed to set sail on April 4th. There were 165 passengers on board, and they had renamed the steamer Guru Nanak Jahaz after the first Sikh guru, but... She still officially bore the name Kamagatu Maru on her side and on her stern. This is a boat of many names. Yeah. And we'll take a break right here. And we're back. Thoughts so far? Uh, it's quite fascinating learning the, you know, like many historic um, stories we know the result more than we know the path, more than we know the journey. Mm -hmm. And so it's always very um, fascinating to get the backstory. I learned a lot doing this yeah, about yeah, the way it. things work and yeah. uh, immigration laws and all that kind of stuff. And frankly, racism. Yeah, exactly. Period. Racism. To recoup some of the costs of the voyage and maximize the space used on the ship, a decision was made to pick up passengers in other ports after leaving Hong Kong. On April 8th, they docked at Shanghai, where an additional 111 passengers boarded the ship. The ship stopped twice in Japan to gather more passengers. At Moji, Japan, another 86 passengers boarded the ship, and finally at Yokohama, another 11 passengers. The total number of passengers on their way to British Columbia was 376, including 24 Muslims, 12 Hindus, and 346. Hmm. From the Canadian Encyclopedia, quote, Nearly all of the passengers were from an elite land-owning villages rather than the low-status groups, notably weavers, leather workers, and sweepers, that made up half of the village populations in rural Punjab. Hmm. The sons of these landowning families were a chief source of recruits for the British Indian Army. Mm. Many of the passengers had served in the army or police of Hong Kong, Shanghai, Singapore, and other British outposts in East Asia, end quote. The ship left Yokohama on May 3rd and began to make its way across the Pacific slowly. 
having to cover over 7,500 kilometers with Japanese Captain Yamamoto at the helm. Her top speed was 11 knots, or 20 kilometers per hour. Dear God. This was no cushy eight-hour flight. Yeah. Well, and you said uh, the engine was like 250 horsepower, which for such a large boat... It's not long. It seems very, very uh, low. But, yeah, uh, yeah, it was kind of a putt-putt, to tell you the truth. Yeah. They entered Canadian waters on May 21st, so almost 20 days later, from Hugh J.M. Johnston's The Voyage of the Kamagatu Maru. Quote, In the early hours of Saturday, 23rd of May, the Kamagatu Maru anchored on the far side of the Burrard Inlet opposite Vancouver. At dawn... The passengers were out on the deck with tree-covered mountains rising behind them and the city across the water in front. They were dressed in their best, with their bags packed, ready to go ashore, end would, quote. Would have been quite a sight. It, it, the Burrard Inlet currently is a beautiful sight. Vancouver is very... Uh, we're surrounded by rainforest. Like it's, it's absolutely beautiful, but back then... There were less buildings in the way yeah and so it, it just it would have been this beautiful sight i could i could imagine the excitement of mm-hmm. oh look at this we're in this new place yeah it, it, let's go let's let's get this done we made it we're here look how beautiful it is oh everything's going to be great you're thinking you've got your uh go to temple clothes on yeah, you yep. know like you you want to present as the best as you possibly Absolutely. can yeah exactly you know? and giving respect to your new country and yep You know, all of those kind of things. Customs officials, a shipping agent, and a medical inspector came aboard. The officials cited the immigration laws that the vessel had breached. Mm -hmm. And it was strongly suggested that they leave voluntarily or risk deportation. So you're standing out there all ready to go. You're excited. You made the journey. Yeah. And Gurdit Singh expected some of this yep, to happen, yep, yes. but I'm not sure how clear maybe all the passengers were on, on that. I, I would imagine that they weren't made fully aware. There was, well, we may encounter some challenges, but I'm prepared to, here's what yep. we're going to, you know, not. Uh, yeah. So I'm sure that their their expectation is, well, we're, we're going to, it's going to be fine. Yeah. But it wasn't. Yeah. From the ship, Gurdit Singh said to press that had come alongside as well, quote, We are British citizens, and we consider we have the right to visit any part of the empire. We are determined to make this a test case, and if we are refused entrance into your country, the matter will not end here, end quote. So, he was Let, prepared. Letting the challenge be known? Yep. From the Canadian Encyclopedia, quote, None of the passengers was allowed ashore, even for preliminary examinations, except for 20 returning residents in a very few special cases. Mm-hmm. So only 24 passengers in total were allowed to disembark. But it, you said returning. Can it, returning, returning yeah. you know, the returning residents. They'd so already citizens, lived in Canada. Yeah. Well, not necessarily citizens. They were maybe, I don't know what they would be called at mm-hmm. the time. The rest of the passengers were told they must remain on board the ship, which was ill-prepared for a long stay in one place mm. without new provisions. Mm-hmm. Just the day previous to Kamagatu Maru's arrival, the Conservative Premier of British Columbia, Sir Richard McBride, made this blatantly racist statement. He said, 
Quote, To admit Orientals in large numbers would mean, in the end, the extinction of the white people. Ooh. And we always have in mind the necessity of keeping this a white man's country. End quote. Holy shit. So, uh, the elementary school I went to yeah. for a few years yeah. was called Sir Richard McBride. So, yeah. So now... That is him. It's how topical hearing about in the States, you know, wanting to rename... Uh, military bases and, and places that had to do with um, historically racist mm -hmm. uh, leaders or people. Suddenly, now I'm like, oh, I don't feel comfortable about that name on the school. Nope. Like, the guy whose name was on the school I went to... Said very said racist racist things. racist shit. Yep. Premier McBride was adamant that the unwelcome immigrants would not set foot in British Columbia. Of course, citing the 1908 Continuous Journey Regulation yeah. Yeah. and the 1910 Immigration Act demanding $200 from each passenger, which many didn't have. I'm citing the continuous dickhead. Uh. Before we try to explain away what the Premier said with that tired old excuse that we've been guilty of here, it was a different time, perhaps we should ask ourselves, was it really? Yeah, um... I absolutely do acknowledge that different times play uh, different roles because for sure uh, racism was afoot. Uh, it was normalized. Mm -hmm. It was uh, just part of, of okayed behavior. So a different time does have some weight, but. Well, yeah, but the moment I read this, a question asked by U.S. President Donald Trump just mm -hmm. over two years ago came to mind. Mm -hmm. During a January 11, 2018 meeting in the Oval Office, Trump asked, quote, Why are we having all these people from shithole countries come here? Yep. End quote. Yep. He was referring to immigrants from Haiti, El Salvador, and African countries. Yep. Yep. But isn't this the same sentiment? It's absolutely the same sentiment, and he's trying to renormalize a lot of that behavior. Um, again, whether something was acceptable at the time or not doesn't lessen the fact that it was disgusting. Yeah, it was racist and appalling. The day after the ship's arrival, a lawyer, barrister Edward Bird, was hired by a group of local South Asian businessmen to fight the Premier and the Canadian government on behalf of the passengers of the Kamagata Maru. He was to challenge the immigration policies in court. When Bird asked Immigration Inspector Malcolm Reed for permission to go to the ship and talk to his client Gurdit Singh, the request was denied. Whoa! Yeah. So not even allowing legal representation? Not on board the ship, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like they had cells back then to yeah, just exactly. call each other. Bird wanted to get the matter resolved as soon as possible, demanding an inquiry involving immigration inspector Malcolm Reed. When the case began to look as though it was moving forward, lawyers for the government utilized stall tactics in the hopes that Gurdit and his band would just get frustrated and leave. Holy shit. Well, that's a, that's a typical tactic of yep. law lawyering today. Absolutely. That's the way the system is set up. Yep. Hopefully, if we just put this off long enough, people will just get bored and yep. it won't happen. Absolutely. The businessmen who had hired Bird became known as the Shore Committee. They organized protest meetings and supported, in support of the passengers on the ship, 
and they were held in both Canada and the United States. So, you know, down the West Coast, there was a lot of supporters of what was going on. Mm -hmm. They wanted these immigrants to be able to make their way into North America. On May 30th, 1914, Gurdit Singh and passengers began a hunger strike to protest their treatment. They sent telegraph messages to the King of England and the Governor General of Canada saying, no provisions, passengers starving, kept prisoners, end quote. That's a great headline. Right? <laughs> At a meeting that same day in Vancouver's Dominion Hall, an assembly of 500 South Asians raised a whopping $5,000. Holy shit. And another $66,000 was pledged in support of the passengers. Oh, holy shit. The group also resolved that if the passengers were not allowed off, Indo-Canadians should follow them back to India and start a rebellion or Ghadar. Mm. So, you know, now, you know, if this happens, then let's go back and fight the Brits there. It's good to hear, though, that even back then there was a, a lot of support. Mm -hmm. Mainly from their own community. Yeah, well, yeah. Among the attendees at the meeting were 20 whites, including reporters and customs officials and at least one British government agent. After hearing the rebellion rhetoric, the agent wired government officials in London and Ottawa to tell them that supporters of the revolutionary Ghadar party were on the ship. <sighs> you know, uh, doesn't yeah, that, just call them terrorists. Doesn't that sound familiar to a, when a lot of Syrian refugees were coming to the States and it was, there's ISIS members on there. Mm -hmm. There's ISIS members on there. Oh, wh why? Why might they throw that out there? It didn't help the cause when the already xenophobic public got wind of the idea that there were non-white possible radicals moored just a kilometer away from the city of Vancouver. Yeah. Although these reports were inflated and designed to spread fear among white Canadians, there were some undeniable facts connecting Gurdit Singh and some of the other passengers to the Ghadar party. From Hugh J.M. Johnson's article, The Kamagato Maru and the Ghadar Party, quote, it was true that there were personal links between the Ghadar party leadership and the organizers of the Kamagato Maru. Ghadar literature did find its way onto the ship, and some men who had been on board did later become active Ghadarites. But the primary objective of the Kamagato Maru was to open Canada for South Asian immigrants. It wasn't about terrorism, even if they did have some ideas that they wanted to rebel against the, the Brits. That just kind of makes sense. And later on, that actually, yes, you know, history. they did yes. gain their independence. But that was a very frightening thing to Canadian officials and predominantly white population. On June 11th, the shore committee sent several tons of food to the passengers. But in another blow, using another delay tactic... Immigration Inspector Malcolm Reed adjourned the Board of Inquiry with the excuse that his staff needed to attend to regular office work. He claimed there were other matters just as pressing that needed tending to. So there are other things that have to do with immigration, but these people who may be not doing so well, starving, yeah, you know, confined to this yeah. vessel, all cramped there in not so great conditions, well, you know, that. That can wait. Do you think maybe, again, that has something to do with, we'll just keep, uh, we'll, we'll get them so uncomfortable that they'll say, oh, let's turn around and go back. Hmm, I wonder, I wonder. Exactly. On June 21st, the Khalsa Diwan Society 
a Sikh society group still in existence here in Vancouver, hmm. and United India League held another meeting in support of the Kamagato Maru passengers. This time, over 400 South Asians and 125 Europeans were in attendance. So mm. they were gaining some support yeah. as far as outsiders who yep. weren't of the same yep. heritage. Not to be outdone, on June 23rd, a meeting was held comprised of opponents to allowing the passengers of the Kamagatu Maru to emigrate. Could you imagine that was a substantially larger group? A delegation of six was barred entry to the meeting. Some were chased away by the Vancouver police. Conservative MP Henry Herbert Stevens, who had been working with immigration inspector Reed in the attempts to bar the passengers from ever coming ashore, was the main speaker at the event. He said, We cannot hope to preserve the national type if we allow Asiatics to enter Canada in any numbers. End quote. Jeez, that just makes me feel very uncomfortable. And his name is on schools and those kind of things as oh, well. Oh, God. Maybe it's time in Canada we start doing some of that shit. Well, his name was later removed from a building. Oh, that, good. That uh, a mural to the Kamagato Maru was put up on. Oh. Yeah. Bye-bye, Harry Herbert Stevens. On June 24th, Inspector Reed wired Ottawa to ask permission to forcibly put the passengers of the Kamagata Maru on the SS Empress of India sailing at 11 a.m. the next day to keep the matter out of court. So if we get them away before this goes to court, the whole thing goes away. Yeah, yeah. Prime Minister Robert L. Borden rejected the plan, oh, good. saying he would rather allow justice to take its course. Good, well, that's, that's good to hear. And we have heard our recent Prime Minister say things like that as well. On June 25th, the Governor General of Canada received a wire from the passengers of the Kamagato Maru. It said, Many requests to Immigration Department for water, but useless. Better order to shoot us than this miserable treatment. Oh, wow. End quote. Wow. From Hugh J.M. Johnson's The Voyage of the Kamagato Maru, quote, On the morning of the 26th, when the Japanese brought aboard a barrel of water for themselves, some of the passengers fell on it, snatching at it, spilling it, licking water from the deck. Oh, my God. So they were that thirsty. Yeah. It really so dehumanizing. I, yeah. You know, yeah. and especially here are 376, I guess, 24 have gone. So 352 people are aboard the ship that's right there. We, If yep. we drove down to Vancouver, we'd be able to see it. Yep, yep. And, the, and there are rumors that... Uh, uh, indigenous peoples were taking food and water to the boat at oh. night uh, l under the yeah. cover of darkness kind of thing. But that has, has not been substantiated, but there are, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. There is lore around that. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised that there's some truth to that. A passenger, Munshi Singh was chosen by bird as an immigration test case. He was brought ashore for a hearing. Munshi Singh claimed he had been refused a direct ticket from Calcutta to Vancouver by a ticket agent. Mm -hmm. When he could not produce witness to that fact, his application for immigration was rejected. It was determined he was to be held for deportation. Byrd wrote up a quick appeal to be heard by the Court of Appeal. On July 6th, the Court of Appeal upheld the anti-Asian order in council, and Mushi Singh's immigration application was dismissed once and for all. 
Gurdit Singh and the passengers of the Kamagata Maru still refused to leave. Anti-Asian yep. policy. Yep. From Hugh J.M. Johnston's Voyage of the Kamagata Maru, quote, By Friday, the 17th of July, clearance and deportation papers had been prepared and 425 tons of water pumped on board. So thank goodness. Mm. Reed had not allowed the ship to dock. So they had been in the harbor the entire time, just moored out there. He did not intend to do so, nor had he purchased food. He was waiting until the last moment, and all that the passengers had to eat was the remnants of $50 worth of food that had been supplied the previous morning. Oh, my God. 50 bucks for 352 people. And you said this is this is in July. so on, It's hot. It, 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 yeah, you're on the water on a very confined, I'm imagining a ship with not a lot of uh, ventilation. No. Uh, you, you, to, you, get out of the, to get out of the sun, you have to go downstairs. Which but, is just going to be a sauna. Yep. You know, and so there, you've got to just imagine how goddamn difficult and uncomfortable and destitute and those poor individuals. Continuing with the quote, as it was, Reed regretted having to put the water on. But what? it would have been impossible to tow water scows out to the five-kilometer limit. So had they been able to get them out of Canada... Expect departure late this afternoon unless anything foreseen happens to prevent, he wired to Ottawa. Mm -hmm. So he thought, they're going to go. Yeah, we got this taken care of. But the ship didn't leave. They could not set to sea without any provisions to carry them through a voyage that might end who knows where. It's a death sentence. Exactly. Literally no food. Reed was livid and decided that they would use force to dispel the Kamagata Maru and set up his plan to be enacted at 1.15 a.m. the next morning when he hoped everybody would be asleep. Again, from Hugh J.M. Johnston's Voyage of the Kamagata Maru. At 12.30 a.m., a body of 125 police arrived with the chief at their head, impatient to get the job over with. Because his men had been on duty all day or had just come on for the night and had been diverted from their normal rounds. Reed had already sworn in 35 special immigration officers and armed them with Ross rifles borrowed from the Seaforth Highlanders, his own militia regiment. The police carried revolvers and batons. So just essentially like 30 additional, hey you, you want to help us? Here's a gun. So this 160 police officers piled onto uh, the largest tug in the Vancouver uh, fleet, Mm. and it was called the Sea Lion. So the Sea Lion set off and made it to the ship around 1 o'clock. As they came alongside, the passengers were waiting for them. Mm, Not sleeping. Not sleeping. And one of the passengers yelled, This ship is going to stay here. She's not going to move. If you start a fight, the Hindus will show you how to fight. If you make fast, we will jump into your boat and fight you and take chances. The Hindus are not afraid. Mm-hmm. End quote. Mm-hmm. The Kamagata Maru's passengers repelled the attack. They had piles of coal, fire, bricks, and scrap metal taken from the ship's hold and rained it down on the police officers who were about five stories below. So the boat is quite yeah, high out of the yeah. water, but this tug is closer to the water. 
and they injured a number of these cops. One of them was even knocked unconscious. Not a shot was fired, and the tugboat limped back to shore. Reed wired Ottawa for help in the form of the Canadian Navy. Holy shit. On July 21st, 1914, hearing that a showdown was imminent, throngs of thousands of Vancouverites gathered on the shore to watch the goings-on. At 7 a.m., 204 Canadian militia were prepared to forcibly board the Kamigatu Maru. An hour later, a naval vessel called the HMCS Rainbow anchored a few hundred yards southwest of the Kamigatu Maru. And I've seen pictures of it, the size of this naval ship compared to the Kamigatu Maru. Um, The Maru is just dwarfed by this Navy boat. At 10 a.m., the big guns on Rainbow's deck were uncovered. Holy shit, talk about intimidating. This clear threat to the smaller steamship sent up a wave of cheers and jeers through the crowd on the shore. Ugh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people excited that um, people may be about to be annihilated. And they're, they're getting to see something yeah. that, you know... It's like watching a movie for them, I guess. Yeah. For seven tense hours, this seemed to be a stalemate as officials and passengers negotiated. They came to an agreement at 5 p.m. The passengers on the Kamigatu Maru were tired. They agreed that they would leave and return to India as long as they were provided enough food to get them through the journey. Mm-hmm. And they were. At 5 a.m. on July 23, 1914, the Kamigatu Maru weighed anchor and was escorted to sea by the sea lion the HMCS Rainbow. Because, you know, mm-hmm. you want these harmless people to be uh, escorted by armed folks. Mm-hmm. Arriving back in India, as the ship was approaching Calcutta on September 26, she was met by a British gunboat oh. and forced to halt. So we're back in India, uh, but guess what? You still can't... Uh, you can't land here. Yeah. Again, they were denied entry this time into their own country. Oh, my God. At Calcutta, at least. The ship was put under guard, and the passengers were held prisoner aboard the vessel. The boat was forced to the town of Budge Budge, 27 kilometers south of Calcutta. Mm. On September 29th, 1914, at 11 a.m., the Kamigatu Maru finally docked at Budge Budge, and the passengers were forced to disembark the ship by police and military. So this all began in May. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah. And here it is, like the end of September. Jesus. And this is the first time they're off the boat. Holy Christ. That is not a cruise. That is not a cruise. Wow. Officials called additional police and military to enforce the order to remove them from the boat. The passengers wanted to go to Calcutta, but the British told them they were to board a train back to the Punjab. Frustrated, no doubt, from two trips across the sea in multiple months cooped up together with strangers aboard an overcrowded ship, tempers boiled over. Led by Gurdit Singh, the passengers refused to get onto the train, and a riot broke out. And why is all this happening, Mike? Because good people wanted to better their life. Right. That's what it comes down to. Yep. According to sickwiki.org, of the 321 passengers on the ship at Budge Budge, 62 left for the Punjab. 20 passengers died shot by British soldiers. One drowned and nine more were wounded and hospitalized. 
202 passengers were jailed and 28 remained unaccounted for. Almost 40 passengers, including Gurdit Singh, had escaped. Hmm. He remained on the run successfully underground until 1920, when on the advice of Mahatma Gandhi, hmm. he surrendered voluntarily at Nankana Sahib. Gurdit Singh was imprisoned by the British government for five years. Hmm. After his release... He settled down at Calcutta, where he died on the 24th of July, 1954. Hmm. So he was almost, he was uh, 94 years old when he oh, passed away. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Sure. The Kamagato Maru incident left a black mark on Canadian history. And for years, the South Asian community and families of those who had been involved called for an apology from the Canadian government. Yeah. On the May 18th, 2016... A hundred and two years after the incident, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau stood in the House of Commons and issued Canada's official apology. Here's some audio highlights of the beginning of that speech. hundred and two years. Jesus Christ, eh? Yeah. I would like to begin by acknowledging the hard work done by many of my colleagues that has brought us to this historic moment here today. From my own caucus... I thank the members from Surrey-Newton and Winnipeg North for their tireless advocacy. They have petitioned the Canadian government for years to make the apology that we will make today. I thank them for their commitment to this cause. Today I rise in this House to offer an apology on behalf of the Government of Canada for our role in the Komagata Maru incident. The PM went on to describe the incident, apologizing to the victims and their descendants, reminding us that the apology comes only after none of those who survived the ordeal are still around to hear it. Mm-hmm. He went on to say in his 10-minute speech, quote, Just as we apologize for past wrongs, so too must we commit ourselves to positive action, to learning from the mistakes of the past, and to making sure that we never repeat them. That is the unique promise and potential of Canada. We believe that every person, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, deserves a real and fair chance at success. Canada's South Asian community exemplifies this success every day. We believe that our diversity is a source of strength, that we are strong, not in spite of our differences, but because of them. Let us always endeavor to do better and to be better. End quote. Yeah, we live right in one of those uh, locations mentioned, the Surrey-Newton area. And as we've talked about in the past, it's incredibly uh, heavily diverse, but of a large Indo-Canadian community we live in. And uh, it's amazing. Uh, We'll post a a link to Trudeau's entire speech if you want to listen to it in the show notes. Ahead of the apology, Global News Vancouver's Squire Barnes, a.k.a. Scott's doppelganger, <laughs> spoke to a couple local men who are descendants of one of the Komagatu Maru passengers. Hmm. And here's some audio of Squire and those guys. When the Kamagata Maru sailed into Vancouver waters in 1914, nobody knew it would become a symbol against racism and British rule in India. The passengers never expected the color of their skin would keep them from reaching our shores. Some people compare them as a refugee. No, they were not refugee. They were not illegal immigrants. They were legal immigrants. They had British passport. They could uh, travel uh, anywhere. 
they were sent back just because they were Indians. Raj and Jazz Tour have fought for years to get an official government apology. They fought for many reasons, one of them being to honor their grandfather. This is my uh, grandfather, Puran Singh, Janetpura. Their grandfather returned to India and became a hero in its independence struggle against Britain. But he never followed his family back to Canada. He said, I have a painful memory uh, with the Canada there, but I will not go there. But my whole South Eastern community will go there, be open the way for them. But an apology is not only the appropriate action to take, it's the right action to take. And it's hoped the apology will help facilitate the story to serve as a lesson for future generations. We don't have the perfect history, Canadian history, but we learn from our mistakes. So there you go. Yeah, that last statement's quite profound. Um, we still aren't perfect. No, we, we aren't. Still... We aren't here on the show. I've I've had some ideas that I thought were okay, mm -hmm. and I was challenged on them, and now I feel differently because I listened to the people who were talking. Th that's the biggest thing missing right now is listening. Um, all of the conversations happening globally um, have people feeling primarily uh, Caucasians feeling defensive and what they want to do is retort and attack back. We just need to shut up mm -hmm. and listen to what people are telling us and believe them for the love of God. Quit being so defensive and insecure. Yeah. Shitty things happened. We can make better decisions. Just yeah. listen. Stop arguing with those people and start listening. If you're ever in Vancouver, you can visit one of the memorials uh, commemorating the Kamigato Maru incident at the foot of the stairs leading away west yeah. from Jackpool Plaza toward the seawall. And the plaque there is accompanied by a photo of Gurjeet Singh surrounded by passenger, the passengers yeah. Yeah. as they are awaiting departure from the Kamagatu Maru here yeah. in Vancouver Harbor. To paint a picture for people, uh, we had the 2010 Olympics here. The Olympic torch mm -hmm. is in Jackpool Plaza, and this is mere feet away yeah. from the Olympic torch and overlooking the Burrard Inlet where the ship was uh, stationed. And one of the mo most moving things about that picture is right beside Gurjeet, Gurjeet Singh is his son. Mm-hmm. Uh, his little son, he's just like, look, looks like a little tyke and he's probably no more than five years old. Oh my God. So good for his dad though, to show him how to be an activist yeah. early on. Yeah. I, I kind of like that. I don't know if we talked about it too much on the show, but every year here in Surrey, we have what's called a fusion festival. Yeah. yeah. And you get to go enjoy everybody's food and culture. Oh, it's amazing. Watch their dancing, singing, all kinds of different things. And it's every culture is involved. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter what part of the world you're from. You're welcome to have a booth there and set up. I'm of Jewish heritage, uh, partially. And uh, I had Israeli food there for the very first time. <laughs> it was kind of interesting. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, um, it's a really, really cool thing that we celebrate yeah. our diversity here. Yeah. That said, I mean, we know that... Uh, there is systemic racism uh, in a lot of our organizations and our laws. Yep. Just this week, the RCMP have admitted that they do agree 
there is systemic racism within their organization. And as did Trudeau just, I think, yesterday, he made yep. a similar speech of, uh, yes, there is systemic racism in our, our uh, authority figures towards um, mm-hmm. our indigenous people yeah. and people of color. So we are seeing changes in the world. It seems that only some of the white folks are upset by statues coming down and names being removed from buildings yeah. and those kind of things. I don't have a problem with any of it. Me neither. And again, it's that whole um, white fragility. It's like just be acknowledging that um, she you know not all white people are like this. For sure. For, for sure. Because um, we are. We are that. We are white people. But if we're just calling things as they are, this is what's happening. And admitting that we have done shitty things in the past doesn't mean we are shitty people and we can do better. But just acknowledging that this shit has happened Mm. doesn't mean that we're terrible people and we can't do better. But that fear is that admitting it means that we're terrible, that we're going to lose our comfortable way of living. Like, oh, it's just very frustrating. And that's what I mean when we just need to shut up right now and listen. I'm reading a book right now. I am listening to a man. His name is Ibram X. Kendi. And he wrote a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist. And it has actually moved me oh, wow. numerous times yeah. in a way that uh, it has made me understand racism in a new way he says the opposite Mm. of racist is not non-racist it's anti-racist yeah 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 anyway um racism was on my mind because of what's going on in the world today so i felt that it was time for us to cover this particular episode yep and uh yeah if you are bothered by it ask yourself why yeah but that's my biggest piece of advice to everybody if what we say on this show when we talk about racism if it bothers you ask yourself what it is that you are bothered by are you afraid of something and if you are afraid ask yourself why you are afraid and what you are afraid of because when people react with anger there's always fear mm -hmm. at the bottom of it yeah so what is it that you are afraid of Are you afraid of losing something? Are you afraid of somebody taking something away from you? Ask yourself those questions. That's absolutely the root of it. Mm -hmm. It's fear of losing the life you know. Mm -hmm. But maybe the life we know isn't exactly the best one. The life we know is extremely advantaged in our favor. And relevant to this case and progress, in 2017, Jagmeet Singh, a Canadian lawyer born in Scarborough, Ontario, and of South Asian heritage, was made leader of the Federal New Democratic Party of Canada. Upon his election, Singh became the first person of a visible minority group to lead a major Canadian federal political party on a permanent basis, and the second overall after the Bloc Québécois' former interim leader, Vivian Barbeau. Canada has come a long way since the Kamagato Maru incident, but we still have a lot of growing to do. As a quote attributed to Maya Angelou goes, do the best you can do until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. That's it for this week's case. Um, Yeah, just some things things to think about. It's time to see what our listeners have to say. Let's listen to some voicemails. 
Here's the first one. Hey, guys, from uh, here in uh, very sunny, very hot Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, this is Amelia, and I just wanted to give you a special shout-out. Um, and thank you so much for your podcast. It's bring me immense joy uh, during this little time of crisis we've had in our uh, in our town here. It's been it's been kind of rough, but uh, but thank you uh, every Monday. I look forward to the new podcast. I might go back and revisit some old ones as well because you guys, if I'm if I'm gonna if I gotta go anywhere, I'm I'm going to Canada, and I need you guys to tell me where to move, where the hot spots are. I, I need this info, so, you know, maybe we can secretly be best friends. But I just wanted to thank you guys. You guys are awesome. Um, I'm not on Facebook. I don't do Facebook, but I do do Instagram. Uh, but, uh, yeah, anyways, uh, <laughs> go take a shit in your hat, and um, much love from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thanks. Bye. Amelia, we can be openly best friends. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to be secret about we, it. Nothing secret yeah, about we're, it. Yeah, we're good with, we love friends. Yeah, we, we have, And there's more, we have room for best, lots of best friends. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, head on up here. We, we absolutely will show you, we'll show you the places to be. Yeah, and speaking of places struggling right now with racism. <laughs> <laughs> the epicenter currently. Yeah. yeah. So thanks for taking the time out to give us a call, Amelia. You are, uh, you're awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Here's another. Hi, Mike and Scott. Um, my name's Harmon. Everyone calls me Harmony. Um, it's easier. I actually have a boyfriend named Scott as well, and he's a little jealous that I'm in love with Scott um, from Dark Poutine. I just find both of your humor very very amusing. Um, we both love the podcast. We've been listening since April um, because I looked up, uh, uh, we're from Hamilton, Ontario. So we, uh, I looked up a case from here and you guys are the only ones who covered it. So that was pretty awesome. And you guys are just so charming and nice to listen to. And since last month, we've binged through all your episodes and we're pretty much caught up now. So yeah, um, I would like you not to shit in your hat because i would not want doo doo in that place, but hope you guys have a great day. Bye. Harmony, I am nothing to love. Trust me. Right. Trust. Oh, I yeah. I know me. Yeah. I've lived with me for forty six years. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you see, want. See, people hear you. Yeah, but they don't. And they know hear me. you having fun and yeah. all that kind of stuff. They don't know my farting. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. They don't, they have yeah. never smelled you. Yeah. They don't know my burping. They don't know my the the power in my laziness. Yeah, I'm, I'm nothing to love. Trust me. Yeah, it's yeah. Run while you can. <laughs> but thank thanks, you, thanks Harmon slash Harmony. Yeah, thank you. I have another friend called Harmony. Oh, it's a very nice name. All right, well, look at that. We have a, we have even more what? email voicemails. It's crazy. There's people are taking time out of their busy schedules what? to send us a little hello, and uh, we appreciate it. Here's another one. Hi, this is Catherine Monroe, um, originally from Prince Edward Island, born and raised, uh, working in in Oregon right now doing bird surveys. So I'm sitting in my truck at 4.30 a.m., about to head out into the woods, and uh, just wanted to say that I love your podcast, uh, Scott and Mike, um, learning about Canadians' dark history. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's not glorifying, but it's it's interesting, and and I don't listen to it on my way to work. I leave the house at about 2.30 in the morning to head out to my, my locations. But on the way home at about 
7.38 in the morning. I, I turn on Dark Poutine because it keeps me awake on the drive home, and I really appreciate that. And uh, you guys are great, so thank you so much. Bye-bye. My God, could you imagine waking up to leave your house at 2.30 in the morning? Yes. Sweet Jesus. I have done it when I worked in the movie business. That's not, that's not a time. I, I wasn't out surveying birds, though. No. <laughs> you know what we call, uh, what what the word bird means back in Nova Scotia, though. Flipping it. No, no. Oh. It's like. Oh, a, like a dame, like a hay No, lady. no, it's like, I got it. Bubbles yelled at one time when he was stuck in the water and trailer park boys he said i got a leech onto my bird oh <laughs> he's it on it was his male business his tinky winky yeah so i hope those aren't the birds that you're out oh jeez, that would be <laughs> See, she's surveying birds i.e she's a peeping tom jesus that would not be uh i wouldn't be getting up at 2 30 for that no heck no no or like 7 30 but thank you for taking the time to uh to it'll, listen. It, to, it, to listen and, and leave a voicemail. Leave a voicemail very for us. Much, very many thank yous. So there you go. Um, da, 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 that's a, that one's too long. Uh, so if you want to leave a voicemail, you can do so very easily. Just dial one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six. It's toll free. Uh, so so there's no cost. There's no cost you for you. freely. It is toll free. At least I believe it. it's toll free for Canadians and Americans to yeah. call anyway. Yeah. Uh, or call one eight seven seven D A R K P T N, and if your call really stands out, you might hear it on the show, and we'd love that. We would love that. And if your call, no, never mind. I was just gonna say if they it know sucks. if it if it sucks balls, it ain't making it. <laughs> it's true. Or if it's too long, try. <laughs> yeah, we we. I've had some that are just like five minutes long. Yeah. And it's like, hey, you know, I don't. We, we just have limited time. I can't, we can't do it. Yeah. We could. I mean, but. Uh, We'd have to be like a whole other show. Just th- a voicemail. Yeah, exactly. Mike and Scott's voicemail <laughs> show. <laughs> I don't think we'd get many downloads. Well, at least one. <laughs> the person. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Yeah. I don't know what I was doing here. Uh, pick up? I think it's time to do some Patreon shout-outs of what it's, what it's time That's to do. That's right. It really is, Patreon. because our Patreons have helped us to stay alive during this craziness that is going on right now. I am so, so friggin' <laughs> grateful. You guys have no idea how grateful I am that... Uh, <laughs> hold You're on. supporting. Yeah, it was... Uh, it has been uh, a tough go. Yeah, yeah. It has been a tough go, Scott. Mm-hmm. It has really <laughs> yes, <laughs> but surviving. Yeah, it looks like things are are picking up. You might hear some ads in the show now. Oh, good. Yeah, have there been none? There, well, there had been none for a while. So um, let's just <laughs> let's just say Patreon kept. Kept the, the roof over the Brown's Man, head Jesus. For, for the last couple of months. Christ. So we really do appreciate it. And people got their stickers and uh, magnets. And are I see very the, appreciative. I see that. Yeah. yeah. It's it's kind of cool. Carol and I sent out a bunch. Um, it's it's fun. We sent one to Bahrain. And it Whoa! didn't it didn't make it to Bahrain. No. Because apparently due to COVID-19, mail is not being delivered to oh, Bahrain oh. right now. That's so cool that we have a... a a listener Bahrain, in Bahrain. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was uh, a kind of uh, 
kind of amazed by that. Yeah, no kidding. So here we have our first one is from, oh, goodness gracious, Langley, British Columbia. Oh, oh. Her name is Sonia Taylor. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you, Sonia. You're just, uh, you're just next door. Just next door. Yeah. Just next door. She is a blue noser. Came oh, in at she? the blue noser uh, at the blue noser yeah, level. Yeah, so yeah. So thank you, thank you very much. Now, what does what does Sonia do with her time? Do you think there in Langley? She's a professional fort builder. Oh, really? And no, no, she doesn't live in Fort Langley. I know that's where you were thinking, but no, no, she's a professional. She and she specializes in blanket forts. For the right for the right price, she will come to your home and build you a comfy, cozy blanket fort. Oh, right. Well, there you go. Right? It wishes works out great for everybody. Love blanket, 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 blanket. Blank. Also those. Also those. Blanket forts. Yeah, it just, who doesn't? And you would think it's just for kids. Her business is primarily adults. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. It's a good gig. It is a good gig. Uh, next. Oh, next we have from the Emerald Isle <laughs> in Kildare. Her name is Robin Homeniuk. Wow. Robin. That's not a very Irish name you have there, Robin. Well, may, maybe Wait. Robin's not from. Well, maybe not. Maybe not Ireland initially. <laughs> but, you know, I like to, you know, not to make fun of the troubles and the famine, but I like to eat the potato every now and then. Oh, my God. It's one of my favorite things, potatoes. Potato? Yeah. Yeah, you got to like that. Deep fried potato? One of my favorite people on the planet. Is Alan Burns. He is a very Irish person. Yes. My good buddy Alan. We used to sit a, sit across from each other at, at the place where we used to work. Alan's good people. He's good people. Yeah. He talks really, he's got that great accent. Does he like potatoes as well? I'm pretty sure he likes the potato. I would think so. Yeah. I would think so. He definitely does. He's from Cork. Oh. And I don't know how close Kildare is to Cork. Probably not close <laughs> at all. <laughs> Probably. I don't know shit about yeah. Ireland. I don't mm. know nothing. It's a good accent. Yeah, though. well, you know. Nailing it. Yeah, I, that's because I, I sat next to the guy for yeah. so long. <laughs> You've absorbed his accent. I kind of did. <laughs> uh, next up, we have, oh, goodness gracious, oh. from Denton, Texas, Oh, Marie Martin. Oh, hey, Marie Martin. Hey, Marie Martin. Well, thank you. Uh, I, love, I love knowing that we have Texans in the house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, Marie, what does Marie do down there in uh, Texas? Ah, uh-huh. she's a dialect instructor. Well, that would make sense. Yeah, it would. It would. It would. And a lot of work. A lot of work. A lot of work in that field as a dialect instructor. I bet. Yeah. Not a not teacher. In, oh, she, in, she's instructing, not teaching. So she instructs actual dialects. Yes. No, the dialects themselves, there aren't humans involved. No, no, just dialects. <laughs> yeah, she deconstructs. And then reconstructs. And then reconstructs. Oh, so she's creating them. You could say, you oh. could say exactly that. I am very confused. Oh, well, you know. Well, thank you, Marie. Uh, next we have, oh, what's this now? The Connections Project. Oh, and they came in at the prime minister level. So thank you very much. The Connections Project. I would. That sounds fascinating. Sarah Anderson mm-hmm. is the uh, Connections Project, and they are uh, in 
Dundas, Ontario. Okay, so it's a Canadian Connections mm-hmm. project. Let's look up what the Connections project I, is. I, I mean, that sounds like something that would be pretty uh, powerful. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see because why not? I have no idea what the Connections project is. <laughs> <laughs> but if you, it, we would love to. Yeah, we would really like to know what the Connections Project is. So uh, if you don't mind, just fire us an email, uh, Madam Patron, Sarah Anderson, and uh, we will talk about the pa- the Connections Project on our next show. Because, I mean, unless it's yeah. like connecting serial killers with each other or... or right. Um, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. So if it's something evil... Or racist, yeah, we're not gonna help or, or fattening. We're, we're not going to. <laughs> we're not going to help your uh, your maniacal ways. But if it's not that, she's probably sitting at home right now. <laughs> uh, everything's happening as planned. Everything's going as planned. <laughs> totally, very maniacal. Oh boy. Well, there you go. Um, next up, we have Amanda Jungquist. And she is from, or it could be Jungquist, she is from East Tawas, Michigan. Yeah. Okay. See, well, I knew. She's close to Detroit, you say? I, yeah, she's close to Detroit. Oh, okay. And uh, do you know this person? A little bit. A little oh, bit. Okay. Yeah, a little bit. All right, I'm scared now. <laughs> nothing to be what, scared. what does Amanda do? She is a professional, get ready for this, a oh. heartwheeler. Oh, boy. Yeah, professional cartwheel. I hope she wears a helmet. She doesn't. No, that, she's that good. Oh, wow. She's that good. Yeah. She doesn't need a helmet. Um, it's her primary mode of transportation as well. Mm. You know, like if she wants to go get groceries, cartwheels. Cartwheels to the grocerium. Yo. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And next we have Courtney M. Palmer. And she's from Williston, Vermont. Ooh. Vermont. Vermont. Vermont always sounds so fancy. It does. When I hear it? Vermont, I just think fancy I right think away. Tea, like a regal tea service. Wasn't the show Benson supposed to be taking place in Vermont? Oh my god. Well, no, because he was in the White House. No, Benson was originally the governor's butler. For Christ's sake, I thought it was in the White House. It's been a yeah. long time, Benson. But yeah, yeah, Vermont, I don't know. I just think of Martha Stewart when I think of Oh, shit. So, uh, uptight. Hanging out with Snoop Dogg. (laughs) Which is the most bizarre. Well, they're both, you know, they're both, uh, they both have past. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Very true. Yeah. She was, she was behind bars for a while. She was, uh, and and she was in the popo. uh, Yeah. Uh, Well, I think actually probably, uh. She probably did more time than Snoop I, ever I, did. That's probably... Which is my point. Snoop, I mean, Snoop... A gangster rapper. I love Snoop so yeah, much. A, yeah, a gangster rapper. Yeah. But Martha Stewart's the real G. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. And, and next up, as far as Patreon goes, we have Robert C. Suchi. Oh. And he is from Bethel Park. Pennsylvania. Oh, Bethel Park. Bethel Park. I don't know about Bethel Park. I wonder what he does there. Doesn't it sound just lovely? Bethel Park. I I don't know. uh, Oh, well, if you want to know, he runs the local Ferris wheel. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it's not the most exciting job in the world. But you can have your moments 
When especially when people oh. want to get off, you just make it go like an extra. Round. Oh yeah, well somebody's pissing you off. Yeah, yeah you just yeah, you stick them really, on the top. Oh man, yeah. yep, yep, absolutely. Go you for could lunch. Cer- you could certainly get your revenge out, um, but yeah, you know, most of days it's pretty mundane. Mm. You're just pushing a button. Every once in a while, somebody will be rocking when they shouldn't be rocking. Yeah, and you gotta keep it down. Don't rock it. But uh, you know, again, that's, most people are quite uh, compliant. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, they get know. it. They know. They know. Don't rock the. Don't Ferris rock wheel. the Ferris wheel. Don't rock the Ferris, which is a very common saying. That should we should have that on a T-shirt. We don't, should don't, don't rock the Ferris. Don't wheel. rock the Ferris wheel. Yeah, it it would. Uh, inevitably, though, inevitably somebody rocks it, and some yelling happens. Yeah, it's it just shouldn't happen. It shouldn't. It, people it really they should respect. Oh yeah, the role. Yeah, of the Ferris wheel operator. Yep. They're just doing good work to make us happy. Uh, okay. So here we have a, a let's let's move on to donut money. Oh now, sure. Uh, from PayPal. So here we have Paul Schemenauer, and uh, oh. he said, "I was going to give you ten dollars for pr- pronouncing my name correctly in the shoutouts, but what the hell? Go get an acre of land on the moon, me man." <laughs> As long as I can come visit it someday. Well, there you go. Open invitation. Thanks so much. To Moon Poutine. And we got a triple digit donation. Whoa. From East Coast Ref- Reflexology. That's www.nutri-flexwellness.com. Wow. And it says, hi, Mike and Scott. I didn't know who to put first, so I went alphabetically. <laughs> well, that's probably makes sense. Because uh, that means it's me every time. That, yeah, win-win for Mike. <laughs> I'm a student right now and can't afford to become a patron, so I will send along donut money when I can. I love, love, love listening to you guys. I found you guys while listening while searching for true crime podcasts. My addiction began with Max Haynes, crime reporter back in the 70s, mm. as did mine. Mm. Interesting. I couldn't wait to get the paper on Saturday. I have to tell you, of all the programs, podcasts, shows I've seen, yours is the most respectful on all sides of the yeah. story. That is what keeps me listening. I began listening about March 15th when this whole crazy thing began, and I have four episodes to go. Oh, wow. Wow. I wanted to tell you about a crime here in New Brunswick that you may want to look into. It was a double hanging already on my list. <laughs> Just so you know. They were called the Bannister Brothers. I won't go into any details because I'm not 100% sure of the facts, nor am I at this point. Yet. any Anyway, time to get some sleep while listening to Dark Poutine. Go shit in your toques and keep up the good work. Cheers. And that is, again, East, Clo- East Coast Reflexology. And thank you so much. That was amazing. That was really, really awesome. Thank well, you. Much appreciated. Mucho. And here we have uh, someone named Michelle. But there's a different name on the PayPal account because she says, Hi, Mike and Scott. This is my husband's account. <laughs> but it's really Michelle and Tara from the Murder and Merlot podcast. Oh, well, hello. That sounds delish. We are longtime listeners, Yumber Yarders, and obviously huge fans. Thank you for always putting out such amazing content and it's inspiring us to start our own podcast. Well, how about that? Oh, that's fantastic. We inspired somebody to do something other than turn us off. (laughs) (laughs) Much love, Michelle and Tara from Murder and Merlot, a crime book club podcast. Hey, a true crime book club podcast. Wow. Yeah. That's a good idea. I love the name. Hey, 
I'll come on and talk about a true crime book if you want me to. Oh my God. All you got to do is like send me an email and ask. How perfect is that? Yeah. Cause I, I do tend to read a lot of Mm -hmm. (laughs) too much. My room is, (laughs) my room is at the point where I have filled every bookcase and I actually need new bookcases. Wow. Murder. It's all murder. Yeah. Well, uh, next we have somebody who spells their last name exactly like I do. So we're probably related somewhere. Her name is Samantha Brown. With hey, on well, the hi, Samantha. Thank you so much. She says she is from a small city in Ontario called Elliott Lake. Gotta say, I respect work, the work that you both do in talking about crime and Canadian history. I'm constantly telling everyone to listen to you both. If you could, what episode should I recommend? Besides all of the episodes, hope this covers some treats from Tim's. Go shit in your hat, eh? Thanks again. Hmm. Um, the re- episode I would recommend people to start with. I, I don't know. I I oh, just big advocate of the Alyssa Lamb episode. I like that one. Yeah, I definitely do. Uh, I always like the the Moncton Mountie mm. uh, murders one. Um, yeah. I, I think it's, hard, it's, just, it's hard for us to choose. I think for me, I say the slam because um, just it gives you good insight into uh, how we try to be empathetic and and uh, always the respectful. best episode for me is the one we just did. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Uh, next, we have Sally Norris again. Thank you so much, Sally. Many thanks as always, Sally and Weymouth, UK occupation. Being Chuck's little sister, when Chuck Norris listens to Dark Poutine, Mike and Scott send him a donut. Send him donut money. So I guess Chuck Norris needs some donut money. Sure. Okay. I'm I'm down as long as he's listening. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send him some donut money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's not really how Patreon uh, works. Like, or pay- we get the money. Yeah, we don't tend to send it. But if it's Chuck Norris. Well, I, if we, if there is a cause, if he's in need, if, if there is a cause, we will donate it. Hashtag Norris in need. <laughs> right. I don't, I'm pretty sure Chuck Norris is just fine. I would think so. Money wise. I would think so. Run into like some tax issues. He or could, something. Maybe he gave all of his money away to needy children. I thought you said meaty children. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm a little deaf, by the that, way. That, that, in many ways, that's wrong. Meaty children. Yeah. Like, Ugh. they're going to eat them? Yeah, exactly. Or are they just, like, is their health Somebody, somebody asked me one time, well, you don't like, you don't like children? You don't have any? And I said, I love children. I just can never seem to finish all of them. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. That's right. I am a cannibal. Oh, my God. Thank you so much to our patrons past and present for your pledges. Uh, and thank you for your donut money. We really appreciate your support of the oh, show. Yeah. If you want to help support us, you can do so at patreon.com slash dark poutine. Or for one-time support, send us donut money at PayPal <laughs> at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already, it mean a lot to us. If you subscribe to the show, you can easily find us on iTunes, Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Check out darkpoutine.com for show notes and other cool stuff. Give us a like or a follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine. And if you're not in the Yumber Yard, get in it. go to threadless.com slash darkpoutine, and you can get yourself one of two Dark Poutine face masks yeah, to I'm, protect you from that COVID-19. I'm sporting mine every day. And guess what? There you go. No COVID. No COVID. Huh? Coincidence? Yet. Nope. 
The most important thing, though, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Until next week, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.